millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The call came in on a sweltering Texas afternoon. The kind that makes the air feel heavy and the horizon shimmer with heat. I was sitting at my desk at the local police station, my boots propped up as I sipped on a lukewarm cup of coffee. The voice on the other end was tense, hurried, and it sent a shiver down my spine. It was a call I'd never expected, a call that would thrust me into the heart of an enigma that defied all explanation. Some of our park rangers are dead. Something. Something unknown took him out, the voice on the other end said, a tremor of fear in his words. We need your expertise, Sheriff. We need you out here in the National Forest. I knew that this was no ordinary case. With a heavy sigh, I put down my coffee and stared out the window at the blazing sun. I was a police officer born and raised in the vast expanses of Texas, but nothing could have prepared me for what lay ahead. I agreed to head out to the National Park, where the unforgiving terrain held secrets I couldn't even begin to fathom. When I arrived at the National Park, I was met with a somber group of officers, their expressions a mix of anxiety and determination. We were issued stun guns, a peculiar choice for a law enforcement operation. The Forest Service Administration had given us a clear mandate, capture, not kill. There was something out there, something that might be a new species of cryptid, and they wanted to be the first to have one detained. The gravity of the situation settled over us as we ventured into the dense forest, our footsteps muffled by the layers of leaves and underbrush. With every step, the feeling of being watched intensified, and the shadows seemed to stretch and twist in unnatural ways. I exchanged glances with the other officers a silent understanding passing between us. We were venturing into the unknown, and none of us knew what awaited us. Hours turned into a day that felt endless, the tension mounting as the forest seemed to close in around us. And then, as the sun dipped below the horizon and the world was bathed in the eerie glow of twilight, we found ourselves standing before a clearing. In the center stood a figure, one that was both familiar and utterly alien. The creature was massive, 
its form stretched upward on two hind legs. Its arms were impossibly long, reaching the ground like a gorilla, but its spine was crooked, contorting its entire frame. Moonlight danced on its gray skin, and its eyes shone like twin orbs of light in the darkness. Its face was grotesque, a deformed mask that held no semblance of humanity. The officers around me raised their stun guns, and the air was filled with the crackling of electricity as we fired in unison. But the creature moved with unnatural speed, a blur of motion as it tackled officers to the ground. Panic surged through me as I fired my stun gun, the darts embedding in the creature's flesh. And then, almost miraculously, the creature fell to the ground, stunned by the sheer number of darts. We approached it cautiously, our breaths heavy in the still night air. Just as we began to bind its limbs, the forest erupted with movement, and a group of figures emerged from the shadows. They wore black, their faces obscured by masks, and their presence sent a chill down my spine. Sea operatives, no doubt about it. Step away, one of them commanded, their tone cold and commanding. This is a matter of national security. As we moved back, they pulled out a black cadaver bag, a chilling indication of their intentions. They ordered us to leave, to be silent, their threats laced with an air of finality. The weight of their words hung in the air as we retreated, the forest swallowing us whole once more. I couldn't shake the feeling that we had stumbled onto something beyond our understanding, something that was meant to remain hidden. As I drove away from the National Park, I couldn't help but glance back, my mind swirling with questions in a sense of unease that would linger long after this encounter. My grandma told me this story about Chanakis. Her mom, my great-grandmother, and her brother used to go to the river to do the laundry. She used to leave the boy on a hammock while she was busy. One day, the boy began to walk into the sugarcane plantations that were next to the river. When his mom realized and dragged him out, he was saying that some kids were offering him papaya. She told him that they were alone there and there was no one else nearby. She put him on the hammock and continued doing the laundry, but the boy kept going into the cane plantation. This situation repeated many times, but the last time she realized the boy wasn't there, she ran into the plantation and found him. She scolded him, and he was swearing again that some kids were offering him papaya. When she looked up, she could. She'd eat the canes moving, like if three people running between them. She got scared and left suddenly. Days after talking with other people, they told her that those kids could have been Chanakis that were trying to steal her kid, so she never brought him back to the river. Some days, when she was there alone, someone would throw her pebbles while she was distracted. I was sleeping in my studio and suddenly darted awake, fully alert, almost instinctual. A deep sense of dread and anxiety came over me as soon as I awoke, and a feeling of a presence was in my kitchen twenty feet away. It was a completely new and isolated experience. This has never happened to me. I mean, I shot up awake and felt deep dread like a draining presence. It was like a totally different sense was activated, honestly chilling. It wasn't from a nightmare. I didn't see or hear anything. I don't have depression or anxiety, nothing that would rationalize this experience. So anyways, I'm looking at the kitchen and sensing something and feeling a level of dread and anxiety I have never ever felt in my life. So I call my dog on the bed and hug him and try to block it out. I ask him to please protect me, be my guardian, and I buried my head into him just wanting this too. Pass. Nothing has happened since. Until... Several months later, my best friend Dog sits for me, lives in my studio for a week. Fast forward another couple months, and she hears my original story for the first time. She tells me while she Dog sat, she had that same experience. A sudden wake up on high alert and scared, anxious, and feeling something in the kitchen. I thought that was really trippy and profound, and confirms I wasn't crazy. What was it? What did it want? Did it wake me, or did my own senses protect me? Did something else protect me? 
It's so interesting, and I wonder if any other have had stories similar to this. By the way, my dog was chilling, thank God. I would have been even more freaked out if he sensed the presence. From my early childhood through my late teens, I lived with a trio of shadowy figures that trailed me like spectral companions. Three ethereal entities, each with its own distinct form and presence, and each tied to a specific location or time of day. The first was a woman shrouded in a cape. She was the night visitor, materializing only when I was asleep. She would stand at the foot of my bed, silent and still. Her presence was unnerving, but she never did anything more than stand there, watching me from the shadows. The sight of her was a nocturnal constant, a ghostly figure looming in the darkness of my room. The second was a childlike figure that haunted our backyard, always hiding behind the starfruit tree. This one only appeared while I was cooking in our kitchen late at night. I would glance out the window and see it there, standing still and staring at me. It was a creepy sight, a small figure illuminated by the faint moonlight, always watching, never moving. The last one was the most bizarre, a man without a torso who seemed to hover around as if gravity didn't apply to him. He wasn't bound by the rules of the other two. He would follow me in broad daylight, appearing suddenly in the most unexpected places. He was a constant reminder of this spectral trio's presence, a haunting figure that seemed to linger in my peripheral vision, no matter where I was or what time of day it was. These three figures were my constant companions for many years, a trinity of shadows that seemed inextricably tied to my existence. Their presence was unsettling, yet over the years I came to accept them as a part of my life, their motives, their origins, their true nature. All remain a mystery to me, but they were a part of my world, a spectral triad that shadowed my every step from childhood to adulthood. In May 2021, I took a trip to New Orleans, a city famous for its rich history and tales of the supernatural. We stayed at an Airbnb, a comfortable place It felt welcoming, if not a little old. One night I woke up abruptly from a deep sleep, my gaze instinctively drawn to the bathroom. A peculiar certainty washed over me. There was someone in the bathroom. I squinted into the semi-darkness, my vision blurred without my glasses. I could discern the shape of a man standing eerily in the bathtub. His back turned to me. I blinked, rubbed my eyes, but the figure remained. I felt an icy chill run down my spine, but eventually sleep reclaimed me. On the day of our departure, all of us left the air bomb except for one girl from our group who had a later flight. Later, she confided in us about a strange experience she had after we left. She heard the sound of footsteps echoing down the hallway, and then a whisper as soft as the rustling of leaves. Slave! Intrigued and disturbed, she researched the history of the area where our air beam was located. To her surprise and horror, she discovered that the site was once a bustling slave trading post. The realization struck us all with a sense of dread and melancholy, a ghostly echo from the past intruding into our present. The haunting memories of our stay in that air beam blingered long after our trip, a chilling reminder of New Orleans' spectral past. The city, rich with history, had shared with us a glimpse into its dark past, a tale of sorrow and injustice that time had failed to erase. This just happened a few hours ago. I have called and reported it to the police, and I am home safely. But guess I am still in shock. Could do with putting it down in writing to process it and figured this is as good a place as any to share what happened. I finished work early today and so decided to go out for a run. I set out around 4.30 and decided my usual route, which crossed May roads, would not be very practical and so I took an alternate route along a canal towpath and some pathways through woods that I knew would be less busy. Everything was going well. 
I was pushing myself steady until I got to a pathway on the way back around six kilometer into the route. It is a long straight path with a canal on the left side, and on there right there is wasteland where some factories used to be, but have mostly been demolished. It has been left abandoned for as long as I can remember and is overgrown with trees and weeds. But there are the odd bits of an old factory that for some reason weren't fully demolished. As I got level with one part of the factory which still had some old metal fire escape steps attached to it, I noticed a rough-looking guy sat on the wall with his legs hanging down. He jumped to his feet as he saw me coming and shouted something, but I couldn't make it out. As I came level to where he was, I heard him say, Wait there. Can you help me find my phone? He said this while he was running down the steps, and so I stopped as I got level with where the bottom of the steps was meaning. We were standing just a few feet apart, but with a fence in between us. It was a really old iron fence with vertical metal bars that have spikes at the top like you sometimes see around churches and things. He asked me if I would help him find his phone again, saying he had dropped it somewhere nearby, and asked if I could ring his number so he could listen for it. I felt I couldn't exactly refuse as my phone was strapped to my arm, so I said he could tell me the number, and I took my phone off my arm and unlocked it. He blurted out a phone number, but said it far too fast, and it didn't begin with seven, which made me start to feel like something wasn't right. Although I was beginning to suspect at this point, I wasn't really worried. I am in pretty good shape, had a big size and weight advantage over him, plus there was a fence between us. He didn't seem in very good physical shape and seemed like he might be homeless. I figured if he was trying to mug me for my phone, his only chance would be if he pulled a knife, so I made sure to stay a good distance away from the fence and kept my eye on where his hands were. So I told him I didn't catch any of the numbers because he said it too quickly, and he came out with another number. This time it did have seven at the beginning. I entered seven numbers, and then he started to look around and saying, I can hear it. Come and help me look as he looked around at the ground. I was about to say that I hadn't even finished dialing when a much larger black guy appeared from behind a section of wall to my right. He was also really scruffy looking, and from the look of his eyes, it seemed like he was on drugs. He came out saying he could hear the phone ringing over towards him and beckoned me to come through a gap in the fence and help look. The white guy then said it is ringing. Yeah? And I told him it was even though I still hadn't dialed the last digits and now I was sure they were trying to lure me to come over to that side of the fence. After two or three times of them both beckoning me to come and help, always insisting they could hear the ring, I heard the black guy say, he's not going to fall for it. He said it in a hushed way, as if he thought I wouldn't hear, but with it being out in the middle of nowhere, I could clearly understand what he said. The white guy then started acting quite aggressive and punched a tree, telling me he needed the phone badly and how his whole life was on the phone, telling me to come and help them look for it. While he was punching the tree and ranting, the black guy had taken a few steps away to the right meaning I couldn't keep my eyes on both at the same time. It was after 5 p.m. by this point and had gotten dark all of a sudden, which made the whole thing even more unsettling. I noticed there was a gap in the fence where some of the bars had been removed right where the black guy was heading, and I decided at that point to get the hell out of there and made a run for it. Neither of them said anything as I ran away, which makes me sure that they had malicious intentions. If they genuinely lost their phone and needed help, I would expect them to shout, Where are you going? or something to try and get me to come back, but they didn't shout anything. After sprinting for a good 20-30 seconds, I turned to see if they were chasing me. They were both stood on the path around where the gap in the fence had been, but were not chasing me. They were just standing there, watching me run away. I continued running away, but kept looking back every few seconds until I was out of sight. It was at this point I got off the canal path and onto the roads. The person I spoke to on the phone to report it took my details and the descriptions, but seemed to think it wasn't anything worth worrying about, but said it will be investigated. The whole incident has left me a bit unnerved, and I'm pretty sure I won't be jogging that route alone anytime soon. Sir... My name is Megan.
I am forwarding a summary of an experience that I and a friend had in August 2010. My friend and associate, Kira, and I traveled from Columbus, Ohio, to Ravenswood, West Virginia, on business. While we were there, I wanted to make a side trip to Gallipolis, Ohio, to visit relatives I had not seen for quite a while. After our meeting and presentation, we drove on to Ohio Route 7 and traveled south along the Ohio River towards Gallipolis. We had a nice, though brief, visit with my relatives. Around 6 p.m., we left their home and drove a few miles north on Rowett, 7 to check into a hotel near the local airport. Around 7.30 p.m., we decided to get dinner and found a quiet restaurant so we could eat and work. After we finished, Kira needed to go to the store and pick up a few items that she forgot to pack. We headed to a Walmart that was nearby the restaurant. After we finished shopping, we were walking to the car when I noticed a woman running through the parking lot. When she reached her car, she looked back in the direction of the store and then hurriedly got into the car. I quickly looked in the same direction and saw what looked like a large bird flying above the roof of the store. It was difficult to see, but when it swooped downward, the parking lot lights would shine off of it. It looked like it was either oily or had shiny leather-like skin. Whatever it was, it had a wide wingspan. I would guess it reached eight, ten feet across. It circled above the store for about a minute, then just disappeared. We were both somewhat shocked at what we witnessed, but figured that it was just a huge bird. Since it was dark, I figured we had misjudged what it really was. We drove back to the hotel and decided to call it a night so we could get an early start on the drive home in the morning. I got ready for bed, but thought I'd watch some television first. By this time, it was around 10 p.m. or so. I must have dozed off fairly quickly because the next thing I remember is frantic knocking on my door. I stumbled out of bed and checked who it was. It was Kira, and she was obviously upset. She rushed into my room and said, It's here. What are you talking about? A little bit perturbed that she woke me up. She said that she was laying on the bed, reading when she heard something in the hallway. She got out of bed, walked to the door, and listened to what she thought were scratching sounds. After a few minutes, the sound stopped, so she went back to bed. Not long after she lay down, she heard more scratching sounds, but from outside her window. Again, she got up and peeked through the curtains. This time, something looked back at her. Our rooms were on the second floor in the back section of the hotel, and both looked out onto a small parking lot and a large field beyond that. She could see what she described as a bald, ugly man with wings who was looking directly at her with large, bulging eyes that lit up bright red. It was there for only a few seconds. It then spread its wings while running at the same time toward the end of the parking lot and lifted off the ground like a bird. You're kidding, right? I muttered to her. Meg, I swear to God, that thing is out there, and it knows we saw it. I knew the only way I was going to get some sleep was to allow Kira to stay in my room. The next morning, we woke early, checked out, and drove back to Columbus. Kira didn't mention the incident from the previous night during the ride. In fact, she has still never said anything else about it. We continue to be good friends and have a very good working relationship. But I got curious. I'd never heard about the Mothman or any of the tales associated with it. I grew up in Texas and had only lived in Ohio for a few years. I moved into my mom's house after she had passed away. Her relatives lived throughout Ohio, but I had never been told any of the stories. This is the reason I'm writing to you. We were near Point Pleasant, W.V., when we had this encounter. Do you think that it is possible that this was a Mothman? I read some of your posts recently, and I'm starting to believe that Kira actually saw something supernatural. In light of the prophecies of danger that this thing is supposed to warn people about, Kira has had some bad luck and tragedy since that day. Her husband suddenly left her. She had a fire in her house, and she severely injured her leg in a fall. Could this be connected? I personally don't believe in predictions, either good or bad. But I will admit that these have been strange times since we witnessed whatever. I have been visited by otherworldly beings since 1974. 
I've had missing time many times over the past 48 years and have been abducted countless times. I did have one experience in 1999 that I had reoccurring dreams, a night that happened at my home in northern Wisconsin. I remember being taken from my bed, being led into my living room. I remember seeing things around me. I was shown a young girl 12 years old or so. I remember knowing that I was the child's father. I remember being so angry that I was used over years to create this abomination. I had, for as long as I can remember, maybe 25 years, kept a gun in my bed under my pillow. I had it in my hand. I remember being so angry that I was able to pull free, and I shot and killed the girl. I am a law enforcement officer. Since that day, I put it away, and I have trouble handling it. After shooting the girl, I remember being punished. I've had, had lumps in my arms that hurt and remain today. Each time that they come, they find different ways to make me suffer. All this time, I hesitate to tell anyone else about any of my sightings, but I, I did report my story to MUFON. They called me and made me feel like a criminal. It was December 2000, and the winter chill had settled in. I lived in a small town called Malala, located southeast of Oregon. The snowy hills off Hunter Road were a popular spot for hiking and exploring, and I had decided to venture out that day to enjoy the tranquility of nature. I had always been fascinated by the mysterious stories of Bigfoot, but never truly believed in its existence. Little did I know that my perspective would change drastically during that fateful hike. As I trudged through the soft snow, enjoying the crisp air and the crunch of snow beneath my boots, I stumbled upon something that would change my life forever. I found a set of tracks unlike any I had ever seen before. There were a dozen of them, each measuring 14 inches in length with an astonishing stride of five and a half feet. The elevation of the area was about 1,500 feet, and the remoteness of the location added to the eeriness of the discovery. I couldn't believe my eyes. The tracks were clearly not human, nor did they resemble any known animal in the area. My heart raced as I considered the possibility that these tracks could belong to the elusive Bigfoot. I decided to follow the tracks, curious to see where they would lead. As I continued on, I couldn't help but feel a growing sense of unease. I was acutely aware of the eerie silence around me, punctuated only by the crunch of my footsteps and the occasional rustle of a bird or squirrel in the trees. Despite my apprehension, I pressed on, driven by a burning curiosity. The tracks led me deeper into the hills, and I began to wonder if I was on the verge of making a groundbreaking discovery. Suddenly, the track stopped at the edge of a small clearing. I scanned the area, searching for any sign of the creature that had left the tracks. But there was nothing. No broken branches, no tufts of fur, no lingering scent. It was as if the creature had simply vanished. Disappointed and feeling a mix of fear and fascination, I decided it was time to head back. I retraced my steps, making sure to take photos of the tracks as proof of my encounter. When I returned to town, I shared my story with friends and family. Some were skeptical, while others excitedly shared their own theories and stories about the legendary creature. As for me, I couldn't shake the feeling that I had come incredibly close to uncovering the truth about Bigfoot. That day in December 2000 marked the beginning of my obsession with the mysterious creature. Since then, I've dedicated my life to searching for evidence and learning all I can about Bigfoot. And though I've never come as close to the creature as I did that day, the memory of those tracks in the hills off Hunter Road continues to fuel my determination to uncover the truth. As I stared at the lifeless body of my best friend, I knew I couldn't let this go on any longer. The once peaceful town we called home had become a place of fear and nightmares. The forest surrounding it, now uninhabited by deadly, unknown creatures. We had come together as a group of hunters, 
determined to protect our town and families from the mysterious predators responsible for the gruesome animal attacks that had plagued our community for months. We had entered the forest, weapons in hand, prepared to face whatever horrors awaited us. But we were not ready for the cunning intelligence and ferocity of the creatures that hunted us. They picked us off one by one, their stealth and speed unmatched by any predator we had ever encountered. I was the last survivor, my friends and fellow hunters now nothing more than memories and fallen comrades. Desperate and terrified, I stumbled deeper into the forest, hoping to find a way to stop these relentless monsters. That's when I discovered it. An ancient relic hidden away in a dark, forgotten cavern. Its mysterious power seemed to resonate with the creatures, hinting at the possibility of controlling them. With newfound determination, I began to study the relic, learning its secrets and unlocking its potential. As I deciphered its ancient symbols and harnessed its power, I devised a plan to turn the creatures against one another, using their own instincts and abilities to defeat them. With a relic in hand, I ventured back into the heart of the forest, seeking out the lair of the predators. When I found them, I used the relic's power to emit high-frequency sound waves, carefully tuned to a frequency that specifically affected their hearing, leaving the other forest animals unharmed. The creatures, disoriented and incapacitated by the sound, began to turn on one another, their pack mentality shattered by the unbearable noise. As the predators fought amongst themselves, I watched from a safe distance, the power of the relic protecting me from their wrath the once fearsome creatures were now vulnerable and confused, their reign of terror coming to an end. With the last of the creatures defeated, I returned to the town, battered and bruised but alive. I carried with me the relic, a testament to the power it held and the lives it had saved. The nightmare was over, and our small town could finally begin to heal from the horror that had gripped it for so long. In the end, an ancient relic and the knowledge of the high-frequency sound waves had been the key to our salvation, allowing me to overcome the deadly predators and protect the home and people I held dear. I didn't personally witness any of the sightings, but I heard about them from the police reports. Officer Linda Seabrook saw a creature that looked gargoyle-like while driving home from work on the Garden State Parkway around 7.4 p.m. She couldn't believe what she was seeing, but was sure of the dark reddish skin and scaly reptilian wings of the creature. Another police officer, Scott Kimball, had a sighting of a gargoyle-like reptilian on Route 33 near Union at approximately 4.35 a.m. He saw a creature nearly six feet tall with scaly wings protruding from its back. The creature had larger than normal eyes and canine teeth. Officer Kimball saw the creature land briefly on an abandoned building and was able to make out its approximately five foot long tail. Police dispatch. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Which also received calls about sightings of a gargoyle-like creature in Cherry Hill Township at around 8.43 p.m. Witnesses reported seeing a creature nearly seven feet tall with large bat-like wings behind its shoulders. The wingspan was estimated to be around 13 feet across. 
There were also reports of strange flying reptilian creatures in Pensacon Township at around 3.17 a.m. Multiple witnesses called the PD to report creatures with red glowing eyes, large wings, and massive black talons. While I haven't seen any of these creatures myself, the reports are certainly intriguing. I've always loved exploring the great outdoors, and one of my favorite pastimes is hiking the trails in the Mount Hood National Forest. The vast expanse of wilderness, filled with towering trees and hidden mysteries, calls to me like a siren song. One crisp autumn day, I set out on a solo hike down Old Cat Road, a trail that meanders through a replanted area of the forest near Colton. As I walked along the path, my senses were filled with the sights, sounds, and smells of the forest. The rustle of leaves beneath my feet, the chirping of birds high above, and the earthy scent of damp soil filled the air. The beauty of the forest never failed to take my breath away. It was then that I stumbled upon something that would change the course of my hike and spark a deep curiosity within me. As I rounded a bend in the trail, I noticed a set of tracks leading out of the replanted area onto the road. The tracks were unlike any I'd seen before. Large, deep impressions with distinct claw marks. Curiosity piqued. I decided to follow the tracks to see where they led. They continued along the road for a short distance before disappearing back into the trees. I hesitated for a moment, unsure if I should venture off the trail, but my curiosity won out. I stepped off the path and followed the tracks into the dense forest. The underbrush grew thicker as I pushed deeper into the trees, and the tracks became more challenging to follow. Still, I pressed on, determined to uncover the mystery of these unusual tracks. As I continued my pursuit, the forest seemed to close in around me, the shadows growing darker and more oppressive. Finally, after what felt like hours of searching, I found the source of the tracks. In a small clearing, I came face to face with a creature unlike anything I had ever seen. It was massive, standing at least eight feet tall, with dark, shaggy fur and piercing, intelligent eyes. I realized with a mixture of awe and terror that I had discovered a cryptid, a creature of legend. The beast regarded me with curiosity as if it were just as surprised to see me as I was to see it. We stood there for a moment, locked in a silent standoff, before the creature turned and disappeared back into the forest, leaving me alone in the clearing. As I made my way back to the trail, my mind raced with questions. What was this creature? How had it managed to remain hidden for so long? And most importantly, what would I do with this incredible discovery? From that day forward, my life was forever changed. The encounter in the forest fueled a lifelong passion for cryptozoology and a quest to unravel the mysteries of the unknown. The memory of that fateful day in the Mount Hood National Forest continues to inspire me as I journey through the world of cryptids, searching for answers and unlocking the secrets of the wild. It was my best friend's birthday. We pitched tents in the backyard. Six of us went for a walk on the dirt road in the canopy. On the other side of the canopy is the Willamette River. Four of the friends kept walking further up the road. My friend and I sat down to talk in the shade. That's when rocks started to be thrown in the river. We thought our friends were trying to scare us. When we met up with them, they were mad at us because they thought we were trying to scare them by throwing rock in the water. After figuring out it was not any one of us, we were all kind of scared. As kids, we were told of bums and our drug growers on the banks of the Willamette. We were not thinking of Bigfoot at all. We turned and started to walk back to the yard, and there they were. One large Bigfoot standing in front about seven to eight feet tall, and two smaller ones standing behind about six feet tall. They came up from the riverside, stood in front of us, and snorted. Maybe ten seconds felt like forever, and then took off on two feet through the brush opposite from the river. I had never seen something move so fast and so quiet once they hit the brush. My friends ran. I stood frozen in fear. 
I believe due to shock, I blacked out the experience for a long time. It is one of the most horrible things to go through. Who do you talk to about this stuff? No one believes the story. I have met up with one of the people that was there. He says that he doesn't remember what he saw. He just remembers everyone being really scared and running back to the yard. It's so frustrating. I wish I would have never seen it so that I wouldn't have to believe. Here is one of the creepiest encounters I've ever, which took place in the spring of 2015. It's important to the story to know that I was basically a huge jerk leading up to what happened. See, I'm a graduate student, and I was at this point about six, eight months into a new relationship with a woman named Sarah. If it matters, I'm female, and we were both around 30 at this time. The prior year before I met Sarah, my best bud from school, Josh and I had gone on a great camping road trip over spring break. This year, I messed up and basically double-booked myself to go camping with Josh and with my girlfriend. Because I'm a scatterbrained idiot, and I got confused about what plans had been discussed, solidified. Both Josh and Sarah were justifiably really pissed off and hurt, but I had made the plan with my girlfriend first, ultimately, so I had to flake on Josh. When it came time to planning, Sarah and I picked a campground in southwestern Pennsylvania with lots of good hiking. It's at least a five-hour drive from where we live. We made reservations, and I mentioned the plan to Josh. Well, it turns out, of all the campgrounds in the region, Josh had also decided to head to that one as it connected to a long bike trail he wanted to go on. He had decided to go camping alone. So we knew Josh would be at the campground before we got there, but things were super awkward between me and him, on account of my being an asshole and him being generally a bit depressed around that time. We stayed three nights, and Josh was there for the first and second night. We'd rented out a small cabin, basically a prefab shed with bunk beds. Because it was cheap, and we have a least reactive wimpy, about rain dog, and it's sometimes easier that way, Josh was tent camping in another spot. I think Josh and I were mostly planning on avoiding each other. He was rightfully still angry. Things were awkward, and I figured he needed some space from me, but it turned out only one bathroom was open on our side of the campground since it was only early April and most of the campground was still closed down for the season. Josh's campsite was right next to the open bathroom, so we ended up seeing him when we walked to the bathroom at night. I saw heard signs of one or two other groups on the far side of the campground, but they had their own bathroom open over there, and we never really saw them. It's a very large and forested campground, and only small sections at either end were open for the season. The second night, Josh was out in his campsite when we came through to the bathroom before bed. It was after midnight at this point. Josh seemed super depressed, and we had a very strange and awkward conversation with him. Took care of what we needed to in the bathroom and headed back to our little shed down the road. The roads in this part of the campground were basically like an inverted F with the bathroom above the top of the F. In between the two arms of the F was a stand of trees next to the main road, a small lock shower building in Josh's campsite, furthest from the main road, the main road being the vertical line of the F. We were staying off the main road further down on the opposite side. So that night we'd cut past Josh's camp to get to the bathroom, but on the way back we followed the road so as not to bother him, as he seemed in a bad mood. It was dark, and I'm easily spooked. We had the dog with us, which was somewhat reassuring, since he looked semi-tough despite being a nutcase and a wimp. But I'm looking around nervously, and as I glance over my shoulder, I think I see a man off to the side of us. My brain processes this very slowly as I just caught a glimpse of him as I turned my head, and it was very dark. I convinced myself my mind was playing tricks. I didn't look back and silently walked with Sarah and the dog back to our cabin. When we got back to the cabin, I thought Sarah looked a little spooked, which is unusual since she's a lot braver than me. Eventually, she says that guy was really creepy, right? So shit. He was real. 
I told her I saw him, but had convinced myself my eyes were playing tricks on me. But no, we both saw someone with no flashlight standing in the trees, just off the road, maybe 15 feet from us. I asked if it might have been Josh. Neither of us were really convinced, but wanted to convince ourselves so we could get some sleep. And he had been wandering around being moody 15 minutes before, and it was right by his campsite. I think we didn't want to freak ourselves out any further, so we locked the cabin and didn't talk about it much more. The next morning it was pouring rain, so Josh decided to pack up and leave early instead of spending the day in the area. We shouted goodbye to him as we headed to the bathroom, and he ran around tossing shit in his trunk and trying not to get drenched. That night was a weekend, and there was a big family in the cabin next to ours, and everything felt far less spooky. But when we got back to town a day later, I texted Josh, asking him if he'd been lurking creepily in the woods. He said no. Well, I told him what we'd seen, and he said he'd seen a guy the prior night lurking in the woods without a flashlight. Same general description. Which I'll get to. Same area. The guy had really creeped him out, so much so that the next day he bought the biggest maglite he could find, so he'd have more than just a pocket knife to defend himself. But he'd also mostly convinced himself it was a park ranger. Yeah, with no flashlight, let alone a vehicle. But he more or less willed himself to believe it so he could get some sleep. So, once we could no longer pretend it was Josh, Sarah and I compared notes. What we both saw, and what Josh saw the night before, was this. A tall, gaunt white man in his late forties, with clean-shaven, sunken cheeks, in the stand of trees, brambled just off the road, in the space between the arms of the fence. He was wearing a raincoat, rubber boots, and a hat, and had no flashlight. He was just standing still and staring coldly in our direction. I remember his raincoat, his sunken face, and how very cold his gaze felt. In contrast, Josh is several inches shorter than whoever we saw, was not wearing a raincoat that night, which we knew because we'd just seen him. But we convinced ourselves otherwise, bearded 29 years old at the time. I should add, it wasn't raining. To be clear, where this guy was was not somewhere you'd be strolling through. It, it was a thick, brambly area. He had made the effort to move out of the road and to stay in the shadows and away from the bright bathroom light both nights. We're sure he wasn't going to the bathroom. Though we were on the women's side, you can hear the men's side clearly, and Josh had been outside in view of the bathroom doors both nights. He didn't look like he lived in the woods which is to say he appeared clean and groomed and his clothes weren't worn or dirty. Whatever he may have been doing in the middle of the night in a nearly abandoned campground with no flashlight, he was clearly making an effort not to be seen. We all discussed it and Josh ultimately called the campground to let them know. They said they'd check it out. Although my camping fees were mysteriously refunded, we never heard anything more. Josh is still a little mad at me for seeing a potential murderer lurking the woods near his tent and not doing anything. Out of curiosity, we just checked to see if anything had happened in the park. A number of people have gone missing in the state park over the years, some slightly mysteriously. Most were found downriver and believed to have fallen into the rapids on accident. I'm sure it's unrelated, but the whole place gives me the creeps, and I still can't figure out what that man was doing. So last year around November, September, I was driving home late at night, 2 or 3 a.m., from my buddy who lived on the other side of the city with my bike. I was stoned as F when I was leaving. Me and my buddy smoked a lot that evening. I had two routes in my head that time that get me home. One was 13 kilometers long through a forest. The other was a much longer route through the city around the forest. For info, I live in Hanover, Germany. The city is pretty much built around these big forests. I decided to go for the forest route, which was already a bad choice since I didn't have any lights on my mountain bike and the forest is very dark at night. But I've been driving this route often since the other route is just waste of time. was an easy decision for me back then since I'm a two meters tall male and was armed with a knife. 
So I'm rolling into the forest in my root trough. It was this asphalted track for inline skaters and bikers. It goes all the way trough. I'm pulling out my cell phone to activate the camera light since this was my only light source. I had and realized I forgot to charge the phone at my buddy's house. So my phone has this option when it's below 5% battery level. You can only activate the camera light for a few seconds till it turns off automatically and you need to turn it on again. Needless to say, it was quite stressful to drive like that, always the light turning on and off. It rained that night too, but not much. More like foggy, fine rain. I don't know what it's called in English, but we call it in German, Niesel. Because of that, I only could see what was close in front of me, like 10 or 15 meters view only. Three, four kilometers in, the track takes a sharp curve. After I was taking it, I would see a white figure standing next to the road. It was dark as F laid, and I'm literally in the middle of the forest. I was thinking about returning, but I decided in a matter of seconds to keep going, since I had a lot speed on. I was rushing through the forest. When I spotted the figure, I couldn't see much since I was like 20 meter away, but in seconds when I came closer, I could see that it was a man in white jacket, just standing there in darkness. Like I said, my phone was keep putting out the light so I would have seen it if he had a light when my phone's light was off. So I'm going full speed towards that creepy guy standing next to the road. I was about five meter now from him, and he was just standing there motionless, like not even turning his head. Light goes out. Four meter now. Three. Two. I put the light back on and bypass him. I see him in the face. He was the most unhygienic looking man I've ever seen. Full nasty beard like a homeless guy just staring at the track. It was this moment I would feel a heavy rumble under my tires. I almost crashed. The track where the man stood was full off sticks and branches, like a barricade. I think my mountain bike tires were saving my ass that day. Needless to say, I have bike lights now and don't take that route at night anymore. I believe that a lot of people get signs before something really bad is going to happen. Two nights ago, I woke up screaming from a very lucid, horrible dream, where in the woods outside my house, I heard someone in pain calling for help. I go to them and find a naked humanoid deer creature that turned on me. I believe that thing was a skinwalker. Then last night around 3 a.m. I heard and felt what sounded like something very large hitting the side of my house. Very clearly I could tell it was happening in the area outside of my kitchen and either next to or below my kitchen window. I was in my living room sitting on the couch where there is even a wall between the living room and kitchen. But this sound was so loud it could be heard throughout the whole house. And while I was already awake, the sound scared my cats, also woke up my sleeping daughter and partner. I could feel the wall behind me and the floor vibrate, along with the dishes and kitchen cupboards rattling around from the impact. This happened at least twice, I'm certain, maybe once more. But after the second time, I was so scared, I ran to check on my family. There was about a ten-second pause between the sounds. After the dream I had, I haven't been able to sleep in fear, plus the loud noises are keeping me up too. Made sure to lock everything just in case. I'm wondering if the events are connected at all. If anyone can give me tips or help ease my mind, I'd appreciate it. The other day I was driving home, and as I came around a curve, there was an animal that I thought was a goat at first. It ran away from me and got far enough away that I couldn't see it in my headlights. And it ran across the road and hid behind a bush. It was smart enough to pivot around the bush as I drove by it. It was extremely pale and looked like a camel shape. It moved like a Chinese dragon and looked like it was made out of a bedsheet. If y'all have any questions, please ask. I'm seriously trying to figure out what I saw, natural or supernatural. Don't know if this helps, but I'm from North Carolina, and this all happened next to a cow pasture.
wasn't a cow because they only have brown cows, no white ones. And I grew up around cows. They don't move, look like that. It was probably about four to five feet tall and about six or feet long. It was a pretty big animal. I am a female, 22. I am petite, really pale, and always messy hair. I was wearing loosened clothes, all whites. Maybe you will guess where I'm heading to. I was outside smoking while sitting on a chair in my front yard. I forgot to mention an essential detail. I live in the countryside. My street leads to fields and forests. The night here hits differently, if you know what I mean. The sky offers some great masterpieces freely to our starry eyes. So yes, I was just hyper-focusing on the sky. I just stood up and decided to take a picture. I wanted to reproduce it through painting. However, I was really disappointed by my lame camera, so I decided to head out inside to grab one of my parents' phones since their quality were better. While I was trying to take some pics, I felt a gaze on me. It was my new neighbor. She was staring at me. I was in my front garden just in front of her house. I was waiting since in my front yard there is an automatic light. It flashes at any movement and lasts for like 20 seconds. Important element. So I was only visible for a few moments. It was pitch dark again. There are no street lights where I live. So I was relieved to feel invisible. As I was finally taking mesmerized pictures, out of the blue... The flash of the phone I was holding started to light up. The moon was right on the left side of her house. Yeah, it looked like I was taking photos of her house. I heard her screaming. I put my hand on the flashlight, turned it off. I was petrified. I didn't know which option was the best. Ah, fleeing right away in my house, so reactivated the flash. Looking suspicious, B confronted her, also talking to her for the first time. In explaining the whole situation because I scared her quite often. I will explain after the other option. See? Just disappearing in the dark and waiting. Okay, so I am a night owl and I love art. It is not unusual to see me outside, standing right in front of my house or in the middle of the driveway past midnight taking pictures, smoking or just contemplating. So I spooked her multiple times. I know because she said that I was the weird neighbor to someone. One day I was playing in the front yard, playing with my cat with a red light laser, obviously late at night. I accidentally lighted my laser towards one of her windows, so a flashy red light point was visible. I heard her screaming, lighted up the room. I turned it off and I glanced at her. She was looking at me and shut the curtains. Back to the story, I decided to not move and wait. Then I was like I should still continue taking pics. I heard loud voices. The front door opened. I heard them walking slowly towards their car and whispering, What was I supposed to do? I just took a last pic and headed to my house. As the flash went on, I was petting my cat. I heard her saying again, this weird chick. As soon as I closed the door, I laughed out loud. Nervous reaction. Surely I should find a way to talk to her, reassuring her that I am inoffensive or just remaining the weird neighbor. All right, so this takes place a little over a year ago in the Northwoods of Wisconsin in winter. My parents had been out of town for probably about a week, and I was dog-sitting. I was in a big old house alone which I didn't mind too much. I couldn't drive, but I'd take long, cold winter walks through the woods a few miles to get to the grocery store. I say this to point out that I knew the place pretty well and definitely wasn't scared of the area. On one of the last days they'd be gone, I heard a strong, distinct whistle. It was at the same tempo of the sound a fog horn would make, but very high pitch. It was pretty loud and sounded incredibly close. I looked out the window and saw nothing and no one. I also heard about nothing. No footsteps, birds, deer, or anything else. The silence was so eerie that I could feel my heart pounding. I immediately ran to shut and lock all of the doors and windows. 
I stayed up about half of the night with the most unsettling feeling. I just couldn't shake like when you know that something's watching you. I also want to mention that my closest neighbors were completely out of town and I saw no footsteps the next morning except my own. I grew up in Hillsboro just down the road, and there was something that haunted me during those years. A tall, featureless figure darker than the darkest night. It appeared in my room on multiple occasions, always in a different position. Sometimes it would be crouched down in the corner, facing the wall, while other times it would lurk inside my closet, staring into its depths. These encounters left me feeling unsettled and frightened. One particular night, shortly before I was about to leave for college, the figure took on a more terrifying form. As I awoke from my sleep, I saw it bent over at a perfect 90-degree angle, its face positioned directly above mine. It started repeating the same phrase over and over again, in a haunting voice. I am here. I am here. The words echoed through the room, sending shivers down my spine. That night marked the last time I ever saw the figure. As I left for college, I hoped to leave behind the unsettling experiences of my childhood. However, the memory of that encounter remains deeply ingrained in my mind. It's both fascinating and unsettling to hear someone from the same area recounting a similar experience. To this day, I find myself reflecting on those encounters and wondering about the true nature of that mysterious figure. What was it? What did it want? The questions remain unanswered, and the memory of those eerie encounters continues to leave an indelible mark on my consciousness. It's a reminder that there are inexplicable forces in this world that we may never fully understand. I was born and raised and currently live in the very rural Northwoods of Wisconsin, near the U.P. border of Michigan on land that was originally, and still somewhat sparsely, populated by the Ojibwe people. I had a similar experience this past February, 2023, that I can't shake. I was solo snowshoeing an isolated trail system in the Chekomagon, Nicolette National Forest in the Lake Superior Snowbelt, not far from my home. It's a beautifully remote place that I've explored many times alone, often never crossing paths with another person. This time it was sunny late afternoon. I was again alone on a particularly scenic trail paralleling a small, fast-flowing river, which was open and only iced over on the banks, enjoying the serene scene accompanied by the sweet songs of chickadees and industrious sounds of nuthatches amplified by the cold calm. As I got further on the trail, I noticed it suddenly got very quiet, which wasn't alarming at first as the winter woods can get very silent, especially considering our high snowfall amounts that blanket the land. Then, out of nowhere, I heard a rhythmic, deep and reedy sound of a low but loud whistle through the brittle woods. I was captivated as I had never heard that sound before. It had a powerful pulse to it that I can't really describe. I am an avid birder, admittedly not an expert, but I was baffled. The noise was somewhat close when I first noticed it, but instead of being curious, I became concerned as I heard the sound getting closer to me. The sound inexplicably filled me with dread. It seemed to be traveling quickly, maybe as fast as a bounding deer, and seemed physically low, the utterance coming from somewhere just above the ground and well below the treetops. While I was out there, I rationalized that the strange vocalization must be from a raven. Ravens are year-round residents up north, so I am very familiar with them. They are highly intelligent birds with complex individualized calls that include deep sounds like croaks. However, I have never, ever in my four decades of living up here, have ever heard a raven utter a sound like that noise. That day I was deep in the woods and was the first person breaking trail after a big snow, so I couldn't move fast. I decided that my best course of action was to just keep going until I got to a switchback that would shorten my journey. 
As I paralleled the river from a ridge above dense with new pine growth, I heard the sound from what seemed to be between me and the river, maybe fifty yards maximum. I stopped and listened as it moved on and beyond, still paralleling the river. I couldn't see much ahead of me, and I did not hear any footfall of it breaking the snow. Honestly, as irrational as I felt, I was grateful to be hidden. I hauled it to the trailhead and got out of there as fast as I could. As soon as I got home, I started researching and seeking out any information on what bird or animal could have created that vocalization. Nothing I found matched that sound. To this day, I just tell myself it must have been a raven, but I know in my own small understanding of the world that it was something else 